Bibles to Romans 14 today. Romans 14, the title of this section is this, based on Romans 14, listen to this. I am fully responsible for my behavior. I am fully responsible for my behavior. That's sort of the, the key idea, the focus that we're going to uh, notice from the passage we look at. We'll look at Romans 14 and another passage uh, from Galatians today. But that's the key idea that we want you to nail down and remember is that I am fully responsible for my behavior. That's important to be reminded of for a number of different reasons. Number one, it's Scripture, right? The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us we're responsible for what we do, and we'll look at those things. But here's another reason why this is a pertinent message, why this is a, a relevant message, is because in the world, in the culture at large, we've been told a number of different lies, really dangerous lies. And here's, here's one side of things. Listen, on the one hand, We've been taught to believe that we are the masters of our own destinies, meaning we're not subject to the demands of nature. We're not subject to the demands of anyone or anything outside of ourselves, we're told. We're told that we can rewrite any and all laws, even the laws that are inscribed in our bodies. We can just sculpt ourselves whatever we desire. So there's this, there's this huge push for this idea of autonomy. No one tells you what to do. You're a law to yourself. But then on the other side of things, it's really, really weird that we teach these contradictory things out there in the world at large and think that it's okay. On the one hand, it's you're a law to yourself. No one tells you. On the other hand, it's if anything ever bad happens, it's somebody else's fault. Anytime something negative goes on, anytime something difficult goes on, somebody else has made it hard on you. It's always somebody else's fault. Well, that's not a new concept. That's been going on since the very, very beginning. I know that most of you right now in your minds are already thinking about the Garden of Eden. We talked about this just recently in a Bible class that we had here together, that you look back at Romans chapter 3, and when the Lord approaches, let's say Genesis chapter 3, I don't know what I just said, but Genesis chapter 3 is where you need to be. The Lord approaches Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says, where are you? What have you been doing? Have you eaten from the tree? And you know that it says there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, that Adam tries to double get rid of the responsibility. He says, well, first of all, it's the woman that you gave me. It's her fault and it's your fault. It's anybody's fault but my fault. The woman made me eat, and you know, as a matter of fact, it's this woman you gave her to me. So this is double, not my fault. But what, he needed, knew, he, what Adam needed to know, what Adam needed to own up to, was that it was his own fault. He should have stood up right there. He should have started leading his home from that spot and said, I did. I ate. I didn't protect her. I didn't do what you asked me to do. I failed. Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. He should have stood up right there. I did it. But he said, she and you did it. And then ever since then, we've been kind of following suit. We always try and push the blame off to someone else, the responsibility onto someone else. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's also... A similar thing with King Saul. King Saul had been told in no uncertain terms, you destroy all of the enemy, all the Amalekites, from man, woman, and child, and animal. You get rid of all of them. And then Samuel approaches, the prophet approaches, and he says in 1 Samuel 15, 14, this is the prophet speaking to the king, why do I hear the sheep? Why do I hear the oxen? Why do I hear the noise of animals? Weren't you told to get rid of everything? 
And King Saul says in 1 Samuel 15, 15, he should say, you know what? You're right. I messed up. You know what? I failed you. But he says, well, the people, the people wanted all these animals. The people kept the animals. The people did this, you know, because really they wanted to honor God. We're always pushing responsibility off. We have to remember we are responsible for our own behavior. We are responsible for submitting our hearts and our lives to the will and the plan of God. So let's read in Romans 14. Romans 14 is the main passage we'll be looking at here for just a, just a brief moment. But let's read several lines here. Romans 14, let's start reading together at verse 7. Romans 14, 7. Listen to this and hear the, hear the context as we keep going through. Be listening for that that emphasis on personal responsibility Romans 14 7 none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself for if we live we live to the Lord and if we die we die to the Lord so then whether we live or whether we die we are the Lord's for to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Because it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Now note verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And then read verse 19 with me. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Okay, so a number of things to consider here in this passage. A few things that I want you to, to highlight with me as we think through this, this concept of I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my words. I'm responsible for my behavior. The first thing is this, as he tells us in these first few lines, we're all connected to each other. He says, you don't live to yourself. You don't die to yourself. You're not just this solitary island that just lives and dies without ever causing connections or impacts on other people. The things that we do and the things that we say absolutely impact others. Sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes as soon as you say something, sometimes just as soon as you do something, you immediately affect someone either positively or negatively. And that stays with them and that changes them. Sometimes it doesn't happen that quickly. Sometimes you might do or say something and it sort of slowly builds. That it's, you turn around without, after having realized it and years go by. This often happens with, with families, with parents and children. All of a sudden, one day, you hit, you hit you, I've turned into my dad. I've turned into my mom. I'm doing and saying those things that they used to do. I don't even realize that this was happening. How'd that happen? But you don't realize that you're doing that exact same kind of thing with your friends, with your neighbors, the people you interact with at work, the people you interact with at school. You're having that kind of impact on them. You are not just this autonomous robot who's only living for yourself. The things that we do affect others. And he says it so plainly. You don't just live to yourself and die to yourself. Because here's the next thing. The next point is this. Every last one of us belong to God. 
He is sovereign and he shares with us what is best and he shares with us what's righteous and he tells us what it is that leads to life and he tells us what it is that leads to pain and so when it says if we live we live to the lord and if we die we die to the lord whether we live or die we're the lord's he's the one who made us he's the one who knows what's best for us he's the one who seeks to be with us forever and so if you're alive as paul would say for me to live is christ this is Philippians 1, to die is gain. Whether you live or die, you live to and for the Lord. He's the one. If he's telling us this is what's best for you, this is what will bring the most joy, the most satisfaction in your life, you don't listen to the silly, ridiculous, contradictory things of the world. You listen to the pure, simple message of Jesus the Christ. We belong to God. But then he goes on to say that it's the resurrection of Jesus that changes things. He says in verse 9, to this end, Christ died and lived again. Why? Why did Christ die and then rise from the grave? So that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. He's alive and he lives for us. That's one of the things that is so hard for so many of us to get planted into our brains and let sink down into our hearts. It's one thing for us to say that Jesus is alive. We can say, I believe he rose from the grave, and I believe that that's a special thing, and I believe that that means he's the son of God. He rose from the grave, but he lives for you. He lives for you. He lives to make intercession for you. That's the reason he's alive, is so that he can make a difference in your life this minute today. He died, and he lives for us. But then that next layer is that it's not just that he lives and dies you know, for me and for you. It's that he lived and died for all of us. And that's the next thing that he stresses there. He lived and died for all of us. And so why in the world could you ever look at another human being and not recognize that that man, that woman, no matter how much money they have or don't have, no matter how much education they have or don't have, no matter what their color of their skin is, how could you ever look at another person and not say, that's one that Jesus lives for? How could you not do that? And so he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise a brother? It's dumbfounding. It's bewildering to Paul that anyone could look at another human and say, I despise this one. He says, because all of us, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. The way we've seen others, the way we've treated others, the way that we've spoken of others, the way that we've influenced others, we will stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account. All forms of prejudice are ignorant and ridiculous, but even worse, they're sinful. James 2.9. All of us must believe in and obey the Lord because we're gonna give an account of the way that we lived. Let those words sink in. Why do you despise your brother? We will all, every last one of us, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God because it's written, going back to Isaiah 45, as I live, says the Lord, every single knee shall bow to me and every single tongue shall confess to God and each of us, each of us will give an account to God. We are responsible for our behavior. Then we, we close there in verse 19 by emphasizing that the fact that the expectation, the divine expectation upon me, the divine expectation upon you is that every one of us will be peacemakers. Let's pursue 
what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So rather than despising one another, rather than judging one another, the idea is to be building up, encouraging, strengthening each other. And he says, this is the type of action that you either do or you do not do, and you will give an account. You will stand before the Lord himself and give an account for the way in which you made peace, the way in which you made division, the way in which you built up, or the way in which you tore down. And he says, this is on you, and you must remember this. Let's go to Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6. Again, as we read this long passage, I want you to remember that title from the Pearls book. I am responsible for my behavior. This is what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6. Let's read together starting at verse 1. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then this, his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load, carry his own load. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So I just want to emphasize a couple of different things here from, from this passage about ways in which, as he says here, ways that we, ways that we deceive ourselves. Because a few different times he speaks of this idea, don't be deceived, don't, don't lie to yourself, don't, don't fool yourself into believing certain things. Well, one of the ways that we deceive ourselves, one of the ways that we lie to ourselves is that we have a, an improper view of ourselves. Look at verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he lies to himself, he deceives himself. In Romans chapter 12 at verse 3, the Bible says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Here's what we should understand. Here's what we should admit. Here's what we should never be too far away from in keeping with having the proper view of ourselves and not having the, an imbalanced lie and understanding of ourselves. We are sinners. That's, that's one of the very first things I've got to understand about myself. I'm a sinner. As much as I would love to be perfect, as much as there's times where I have like this inflated ego and I think I'm so great, I have to remember, I'm a sinner. I routinely and regularly fail. I routinely and regularly fail to lead my family as I should and say the, way, say the things I should say and speak the way I should speak. I routinely fail. 
In 1 John chapter 1 at verse 8, the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, again, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I've got to remember that I'm a sinner. And that means that I need grace. That means that I need mercy. That means that I need forgiveness. And so I've got to remember that as I'm, as I'm going into the world and dealing with other people and seeking to be a peacemaker and, and one who builds others up, I've got to remember that instead of looking at a high and mighty place and looking down on people, I'm a sinner who needs to be forgiven. I need grace, love, and mercy, and I know others do too. And so as I remember that, that, that I'm a sinner, I also have to remember that others sin. I'm not alone in my sin. Others sin also. And what's expected here, as it says in Galatians chapter 6, is that I'm expected to help others who are sinning. Restore those who are in a, caught in a transgression. Gently and sweetly, with humility, help those who are in the midst of, of sinful transgression. I'm expected to help. I'm not going to compromise the truth, but I'm going to seek restoration and seek to restore, seek to build bridges. This is the example. This is what Jesus did, is it not? Go to Romans 15. Let's read the example of Jesus Christ. Romans 15. This passage works so perfectly with what is revealed to us in Galatians chapter 6 about who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be like. He tells us in Romans 15, this is Jesus right here. Romans 15, 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now that sounds a whole lot like Galatians 6, doesn't it? So we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus went through those things, did those things from a selfless, humble, giving attitude and disposition to say you're the ones who sinned but i've given of myself to pick you up i've given of myself to restore you and so he says we should try to build others up because this is what jesus did so i must remember that that i sin and that others sin i need grace and mercy other people need grace and mercy and this is the way that i should live but another way that I often deceive myself and you deceive yourself is not only having the improper view of ourselves, but another way we deceive ourselves is by refusing to recognize God's law of sowing and reaping. Go back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, 7. Here's the second time he says it. Don't be deceived. Don't lie to yourself. God's not mocked. You can't fool God. You can't pull a fast one on him. You can't do a sleight of hand trick on God where he doesn't see it. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, that you will reap. We refer to this as God's law of sowing and reaping. The things you do matter. Our choices matter. And that's, that's a concept, an idea that I need to remind myself, and it's something I've desperately, desperately wanted our, our young people to remember and to know. Whenever we, a few years ago, we made this uh, really great addition uh, back there in the back to the youth center. You may not remember this. Back in the day, you used to have to go outside from the youth center to come into the church building. The, there was construction. We made this great hallway. Now you can stay inside, whether it's warm or cold, if it's snowing or raining, you can stay inside and go to the youth center in here to the building. It's great. Love it. Thankful for it. 
made Alan's office a little smaller, right? Kind of closed the walls in a little bit, but for the rest of it, it's great. But now there's just this white hallway, this stark white hallway. And I thought to myself, we need something here to be uplifting and be encouraging. And so we commissioned the talented Miss Allie McCoy to make this beautiful painting that says, your choices matter. And then it says Galatians 6-7 below it. Because I want our young people, I want our three boys. If nothing else, Laura and I want to get a few plugs in to those three boys will remember. Every time you leave that place, the things you do, the things you say, the way you interact with other people, your choices matter. God says it this way. What you sow, you will reap. Your choices build your reputation. Your choices form your character. Your choices affect your joy. Your choices map your destiny. Your choices matter. There's no such thing as small, inconsequential choices. The way you interact with people, the way you treat people, the way you tear them down or build them up, the way you lead them closer to Jesus or further away from Him, the things you do, the choices you make matter. The words you speak, the, the jokes you make, the things you laugh at, it's going to form your reputation and it's going to form your character. The choices you make are going to affect whether or not you are satisfied and fulfilled and full of joy. The people you surround yourself with, the choices you make and influences, the choices you make will map your destiny. I heard somebody else say this, and I liked it a lot. They said, we can either make excuses or we can make progress. I choose to try and make progress because I know I've got a million miles to go. I remember that I'm a sinner who needs to be forgiven, but instead of making excuses, I want to make progress. And so I want to choose Jesus, and I think that's part of the message here. That when we're told, I'm responsible for my behavior, that means I own up to the mistakes I've made. I own up to the sin I've been involved in. I own up to the problems that I've caused, but I want to make progress. And so when we choose to love and to submit to and follow Jesus, when we're honest with ourselves about our conduct, but we are so grateful for the blessings and mercy and grace of Jesus, that is when we live differently. So let's be honest. Let's make the admission. Scripture is just too plain. I am responsible for my behavior. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame my friends. I can't blame my culture. I've got to stop making excuses because I know my choices matter. And so it begins by choosing Jesus. He's the one who lived. He's the one who died. He's the one who even now makes intercession for me and for you. So you're responsible for your behavior. You're responsible for choosing Jesus. He died for you. He offers you hope. He offers you wide open gates into his very arms. He's calling for you to come to him. He says, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's your call this minute, but the choice is yours. Will you continue to live for self or start living for him? You're responsible for your behavior. If there's any way that we can encourage you or help you, we want you to come while we stand and sing.